Thanks, John. Uh, would you keep your Bibles open, please, at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and uh, starting at verse 6. Six, here we go. All right, godliness with contentment. I suppose it's no surprises for you given the, the theme so far of the, uh, the service. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And one of the things I have been very much made aware of as I get older is the futility of physical possessions around me of the futility of maintaining reputation and popularity and whatever else. The only thing that really counts is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now a little bit of context about this letter uh, before we get into the text here. Paul wrote the letter, the pastoral letter, to Timothy. Timothy was a young elder. He wasn't an old man, he was a young man. His father was a Greek an unbeliever. His mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois were godly women who brought him up in the scriptures. And Timothy really impressed the Apostle Paul with his knowledge and understanding of scripture. And Paul continued to teach him the word of God. He actually went out and preached the word of God with Paul. He attended the secondary missionary journey, went on with that with Paul. And here Paul writes to Timothy and he encourages him to stay in Ephesus and to oppose unsound teaching, unsound doctrine. And you're probably thinking at the moment, hold on, what's this got to do with contentment and godliness? <laughs> and what's all this got to do with me and with you right here and now? Well, actually, it has quite a lot to do with us. It has quite a lot to do with us. Because when you consider the unsound doctrine that was being taught by these false teachers, it was because of their godlessness rather than their godliness and because of their discontentment with what they had. Now, to put this in a bit more context for us now, we're now into the third week of January. It's almost finished, one month. We've got 2023 in front of us. We've got an AGM coming up. So a lot can go under the bridge, a lot of water under the bridge in 2023. For instance, I wonder how the receivership matter will end up for the church. We have some fairly dire economic predictions for the global economy. I wonder how that will roll out. Let's think about last year and how things occurred and project ahead as well. Were you content with last year, with what happened? Were you happy? Were you content in yourself? And are you content the way things are shaping up for 2023? Or are you a bit anxious, a little bit doubtful? Or you're discontented? Or maybe we're discontented. It's not a good place to be. And these... People back in Timothy's time in Ephesus, the false teachers, they were discontent. They were discontent with their lot and they saw an opportunity to make wealth, to advance themselves, the personal benefit. 
they saw a great opportunity in the church with false teaching and, would you believe it, a form of godliness. They didn't really know God. Hey, but if you attend regularly, you say the right thing, you do the right thing, you get involved. Well, there's a form of godliness there, isn't there? And they were intending to use it to advantage to make gain. And their attitude was, if we look at verse 5 of chapter 6, their attitude was that godliness is great gain. Not true godliness, but the appearance of godliness was great gain. And Paul refutes that when he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now the fact I find that Paul writes this letter to Timothy about godliness and encourages him towards godliness to refute unsound teaching, to encourage people to be godly and to be content, makes it a fairly important matter. Apparently, Paul, speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw it as an important matter for Timothy. And it was. It's also an important matter for us because if we're not content with life, if we're not fully trusting in God to provide for our every need in every situation, then we're out of fellowship with God. We don't trust him. So the problem here isn't so much their focus on money. That's just one of the things that you can set your heart on and be discontent about. We can be discontented about many things. I could be discontented if I want to about the number of guitars I have or my ability to play or sing or do anything. I can be jealous and discontent with my inability to do things that you can do or that I don't have the things that you have. Discontentment can hit us in different ways. And the interesting thing is, whatever it is that leads you into discontentment, beware, the devil knows how to bait his hook very clearly. So the problem here at Ephesus is one of godlessness and discontentment. And it's something that we can all sink into. And there's some real problems when that happens. Discontentment. Let me ask you a question right now. Are you content with life? Are you comfortable within yourself that God has provided everything necessary for you and you do not desire anything more and above than what you have? You're not looking at me in a convincing way. I suspect that we too have our moments if not more, of discontent. And we need to get this right. Paul didn't say to Timothy, contentment is great gain. What did he say? But godliness with contentment is great gain. So Paul is not only encouraging Timothy to be godly and to be content, and to encourage those around him in Ephesus to be godly and content, you and I are encouraged to be godly and content at all times. Not sometimes, not occasionally, but at all times. And to be truly content with what God has given us. 
Now, we could probably sit down and if it was anyone other than Paul, we could probably dismiss it as we normally do when things like this come up. Uh, well, that's just Paul speaking, you know, it's okay, Paul, yeah, you can say that, I hear what you're saying, but I want to see you walk it. Well, if we look at the Apostle Paul's life, um, Paul actually walked the talk and set us an example here because he says in Philippians 4, chapter 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Can you say that? I've learned that in whatever state I am to be content. Oh, yeah, well, that's easy, Paul. You've said that. But let's have a look at it a little further. The Apostle Paul has said this. What, what has the Apostle Paul suffered? What's he gone through that could add a bit of weight to his words and encouragement to us to be content? Well, we only need to look at 2 Corinthians 11 from verses 23 to 28. And Paul sets out what he has suffered for the Lord, what he has suffered for his faith. Now, put your hand up if you want any one of these. He worked harder than everyone else. He got more lashes than anyone else. He was frequently in prison. He was at risk of death often. Five times he got 39 lashes. Does anyone want to have a few lashes? No? Three times beaten with rods. He was stoned once. Three times shipwrecked. A night and a day in the deep. He travelled a lot. He was in dangerous waters, in danger of robbers, in danger of the Jews who did not like the message of the cross, in danger of the Gentiles. They didn't like him challenging their belief in foreign gods and the business that that brought to them. And he goes on, in weariness and in toil, sleeplessness often, in hunger, thirst, fasting often, and besides other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Now, put your hand up if you're in for that. Oh, I didn't think so. Well, I'm not either. But Paul carries a bit of weight when he encourages us to be content, or to be godly and content, doesn't he? And the Lord God would have us to be godly and content. And we need to look at this very closely. Now, just checking again, how's your contentment? Are you feeling any more comfortable? Or perhaps a little less comfortable? I can tell you I felt very uncomfortable when I started getting into this because it brought to me very, very much so my shortcomings. Let's have a look at this verse. And I'm looking at the text here that we're looking at this morning. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a little bit of a word study we've got to do here. First off, Paul says, but godliness. Not just contentment, but godliness. So what's godliness? Well, state of being. It's being like God. The characteristics of God. Well, that doesn't give me much of a detailed word. That is translated godliness here. The root of that word comes from a word meaning reverential worship. Reverential worship. Piety. Devotion, and when I say devotion, I mean complete devotion. Not that I'm devoted to this for the moment or mostly, but I am devoted fully 100% of the time. That 
seems to go well with the great commandment, isn't it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and strength, isn't it? You remember the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5? I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. We're to be completely and utterly devoted to the Lord God. The word godliness also conveys meanings of holiness, being set apart to God, a people to God, faithful in all things, obedience. As you, I'm feeling a little bit less comfortable. I don't think we do this well, but this is what the word godliness means. So Paul's saying godliness with contentment. Well, let's get the godliness right first. Now, it's an interesting fact that godliness with contentment is never a matter of degree. All truly godly people have learnt to be content in whatever situation they are in. Whatever God has allotted for you or for me, we are to be content knowing that he is in control, his sovereign will is being outworked, and as Paul mentioned in his prayer, what's Romans 8.28 say? But I know that all things, not some, all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. So a true Christian ought to be content with the necessities of life. The things that we desire are not insatiable. We don't and oughtn't want more and more, bigger and better. We should be satisfied with the few comforts of life that we are given and to thank God for that. Now let's have a look at the next word that I think is important here. But godliness with contentment, isn't it? With contentment. Well, if we translate the Greek here into English, um, it, it translates as inwardly sufficient. That's not a good translation. To me, that conveys the meaning that I in myself am sufficient. But that's not the case. What it means here is that I'm inwardly content within myself with which God has provided for me. I'm not reliant on anything external to me. I am totally reliant on the Lord God and what he provides and inwardly I am content. I have no desire for anything else other than what God has given to me. Now, contentment is not fatalism either. Contentment isn't saying, well, it's just happened, I can't change history, I've just got to live with it and make the best of it. That's not contentment. Contentment is knowing that God is in control and thanking him for that situation and trusting in him to provide for you regardless of that situation. Now, If I can quote uh, Alistair Begg, made a, a very nice quote about contentment. Contentment is going to that place where you can say, I don't understand, but I trust God fully. That's contentment, isn't it? Knowing that God is in control and his sovereign will works out. 
And when we look at the last word here, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now again, we've got to be careful of the English translation because it gives the impression that godliness and contentment in themselves give us great gain. But they don't. The meaning of the word gain here is that it is a means or a way to great gain. You're not storing up your wealth on earth, you're storing your wealth in heaven, isn't it? That's where your treasure is, in heaven. And being godly and being content is a means to storing wealth. It is not a gain in and of itself. So let's have a look at discontentment, because I think that's something we need to look at as well. People can dismiss this and say, oh, well, you know, you can't be content all the time. Well, we ought to be, and we ought to strive it. When we look at discontentment, what is it that motivates discontentment? What is it that motivates you to be discontented? It's a love of self, isn't it? Really? A love of self? You might have a love of money. Well, money in itself doesn't do much for you. You can't eat it. But it's a means of acquiring other things that your heart may desire. A new clothes, new car, new house, something that you desire. And unfortunately, your desire is such that it is so great that it pushes the Lord God into second place, third place. This is discontentment. Discontentment is being discontented with what God has provided. It's basically raising your fist towards the Lord God and saying, not good enough, not big enough, not fast enough, I want better. A few other things I want us to note about discontentment. Let's get this straight. First off, it's sin. Let's call it what it is. Being discontented with life and not fully trusting on the Lord God to provide for us is sin. It's idolatry. You are putting something before God himself. If you look at Matthew 6.24, No man, no woman, no child can serve two masters. For you'll either serve one and hate the other, or you'll serve the other and hate the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Now it's an interesting word again, mammon. It doesn't just mean money or wealth. The word mammon comes from the Aramaic, comes from the old Chaldee language. And it is the personification of money and wealth. The deifying of it in that you are treating it as a God with your desire. So you can't serve God, you can't serve wealth or any other desire you have and treat it as if it's God by desiring it more than you do the Lord God himself. So discontentment is sin. It's idolatry. It demonstrates a lack of faith and trust in the Lord to provide for us. Remember the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. What a beautiful psalm of God's wonderful provision for us as the head and chief shepherd, isn't it? But if we're discontent, what are we saying about that psalm? What are we saying to God? It's a lack of trust, it's a lack of faith. And in fact, if we're discontented because I am covetous of what you have, it's a lack of love for my neighbour too, isn't it? I've just broken the last commandment. So we see that being discontented is sin. Let's call it what it is. It's also destructive. Because being discontented breaches your relationship with your saviour. 
with your Saviour God. It breaches that relationship. We're too busy complaining and scheming to get what we want to actually thank God for what he's given us and to praise him for who he is. It's destructive because it really impairs the Christian witness. If you are discontent in life and everyone around you can see it and knows it, then you can't blame your non-Christian friends for looking at you and saying, you don't practice what you preach. You talk about your wonderful God being your saviour and providing so well for you, and here you are complaining and whinging. Well, what does that do for your Christian witness? It shoots it right down in flames, doesn't it? It's also destructive because of its effect to babes in Christ, new Christians and weak Christians. It stumbles them. It causes them to question whether God is actually good and will and can provide for them. And discontentment is destructive. Have you ever been around someone who is discontent all the time? They're a real bundle of joy to be around, aren't they? You're walking on eggshells. And what's it like in relationships then? So if we're discontented, what do you think the relationships are like at work, at home, and in the church? And if it's in the church, it has a significant impact on our relationships, on our unity, on the peace of the church, and our ability to serve our Lord as he would have us. Wow, discontented? You're contented. I could ask a more pointed question, but I won't. No, we're not at this point in time anyway. So let's be honest. We all get discontent at times, don't we? Yeah. So how are we to deal with it? This is the real issue. How are we to deal with this? We're encouraged to be godly with contentment. So how are we to aim at this? I think there's some very simple things that we can do that we often overlook because we don't recognise discontentment as sin and we don't call it as such. We try and dismiss it. First off, repent. We need to confess our sin before God and we need to pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit we can change our attitude and our behaviour. Do you remember Romans chapter 12, verse 2? What does it say? It's a long time ago, I know. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know the good and acceptable will of God. So we repent of our sin. We read the word of God, we pray, we enter into relationship with our God. And we know from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 that if we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What else can we do if we're discontented? Well, one of the other things that we don't do very well either is to praise and to thank God for what he has done for us. He's given us life through our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. He died for us. And we have the hope of eternal life because of him. So remember the song? What was the chorus of the song? How did it start off? Count your blessings, wasn't it? Okay, so we can repent 
of our sin. We ought to count our blessings, and not just count them, but to be genuinely heartfelt thankful to God for what he has done for us, and to keep thanking him and praising him. If you want to know where to start for that, have a look at Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you lands. If you're discontented, have a little think too. Perhaps you might be keeping the wrong company. And if you find that there are people around you who are quite discontent with life and they're dragging you down, then what does Paul say to young Timothy? Shun them. Avoid them. Don't let them drag you down. Don't listen to them. Put your trust in God. We ought to also aim at righteousness. Let's have a look at verse 11 here in our text. But you, man of God, flee from all of this, shun it, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Now, who does that? Something we ought to do more often too, isn't it? And Paul continues to encourage Timothy, fight the good fight. Don't give in the temptation. Fight the good fight. Stand up. Stand up for good doctrine. Stand up to the standards of God. Take hold of eternal life. In other words, get some real perspective. I guess in today's language we'd say, get real. Take hold of eternal life. When you consider eternal life to a new car or a new house, new clothes or new whatever it is you want, how do they compare? How do they compare? They don't, do they? Well, there's a, one or two other things we ought to think about too. The futility of being discontent. Some of us are getting a little bit longer and the baby is just born. What does it come into the world with? Does it come into the world with all its toys? Does it have a car and a house? Naked I came. I come in with nothing. And let's be honest, when I die and I'm dead and buried, what can I take out with me? You think my three guitars are going with me? My racing bikes, my running shoes and my library and everything else that I like? Are they going with me too? No. I came in with nothing. I go out with nothing. So it's rather futile, isn't it? Perhaps we can consider the wisdom of um, the Proverbs. Proverbs 30, um, verses 7 to 9. Two things I request of you. And don't deprive me before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me the food allotted to me. Lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Now here's the writer of the Proverbs saying, Lord, don't give me too much. If I have too much... I'm going to be so taken up with it, I'm going to forget you and neglect you in my comfort. And Lord, don't let me be too poor. I may be tempted to steal and not give you the honour that I should. Now, we need to get perspective and we need to be content, but we need to be godly. 
And this is a hard lesson for all of us. We can easily be tempted here to be godly. What did uh, Jesus say to to the rich man in his parable in Luke 12? Remember the the rich man and young rich man in Luke 12? He had a very productive block of land and he was growing more and more crops and his barns couldn't take it or store it. So what was his plan? I'll knock down the barns, I'll build bigger ones and then when I have all this, I can repose. I can relax, take it easy. I can cruise. I can eat, drink and be merry. And the Lord says to him, Phil, tonight your soul is required of you. All his time, effort and desire put into acquiring physical, material wealth and goods. And what good did it do him? No good at all. No good at all. So let's look at Paul's injunction to Timothy here. But godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I would ask you to look at this long and hard in your life. Aim to be godly, to be the people of God that you ought to be and be content with whatever God gives you in whatever state you find yourself. And I can tell you from experience that that is not always an easy thing. But nevertheless... The Lord God is in control and you will be content. Now, perhaps you might be deeply discontented with life and you're not a Christian. You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me assure you that you will not find peace or contentment in any material possession in any intangible thing that you can find, in any person other than Jesus Christ. Only Christ can satisfy. So if you want peace, if you want true contentment, then I'd encourage you to consider Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Now if you don't know Christ and you want peace and contentment, then I'm more than happy to talk to you afterwards or to one of the elders, to Paul or to Jeff, and we can help you. And we can earnestly pray that the Lord God would move in your heart. Well, let's bring this to a close. One, what have we learnt today, but what do we need to apply? Well, first off, we've learnt godliness with contentment is great gain. And we know what godliness is. We need to live a life pleasing to God. Not just say the right thing, do the right thing, go to the right things at certain times, to look and devote ourselves 100% to the Lord himself. We need to be godly. We know that discontentment is sin, it's destructive, and it's futile. So we need to learn to be content with the Lord's provision towards us and we need to trust him at all times. We also know that earthly wealth is perishable. No matter how much you desire material wealth, It's not going to satisfy. Sooner or later you're going to get bored with it or see something bigger or better. It's going to wear, tear and break. It's not going to last. And sooner rather than later, you're going to pass from this earth and you can't take it with you. So we need to set our treasure in heaven and get our priorities right. You know, as we close, I'm reminded of a hymn. It's an old hymn. It must be old. I can remember it from when I was very young. 
But the first verse speaks a lot about being content with God and having a godly life. Maybe you've heard this hymn and maybe you've sung it before. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. They won't have that attraction anymore that they used to have. They'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. So let us seek the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that there are many things, perhaps different to each one of us, that distract us and take us away from you. There are many things that we set up as gods in our heart and we neglect you. We don't spend the time in prayer that we ought. We don't worship and praise you as we ought. We don't read your word as we ought. We don't encourage each other as we ought. We don't proclaim the gospel as we ought. And we sin because of this. Father, we ask that you would forgive us, that you would help us to be truly godly, that your Holy Spirit might indwell us and empower us to overcome sin, that we would be wholly devoted to you and to you alone. And Father, that all that we say and do would be devoted to the extension of your kingdom and to your glory. Father, we would ask these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.